All right, open your Bibles to John chapter 2, and we're going to be in John chapter 6 and John chapter 12. John 2, John 6, so you've got to use at least three fingers there to mark those spots. John 2, John 6, John 12. Tonight, I want to, tell, I want to share something super personal with you, but also, I believe tonight we're going to walk out of here and God's going to meet with us in a pretty, pretty special way. So I've asked him to, I need, I, we need him to. We need tonight to not just come to another men's gathering and eat chili, and all that's good. When we come together, we really do need to be intent on returning to the awe, the wonder of meeting together. That's, that's certainly powerful and important. But return to the awe of expecting God to do something among us every time we're together. Whether it's a group of two or three of you eating breakfast at Cracker Barrel, or whether it's several hundred of us hanging out at a guy's night out. Whenever we gather as Christ followers, let us be people who expect, who have an anticipation, an awareness an awe, a sense of wonder that God might possibly do something powerful among us. Are you, are you welcome? Are you will, at least willing to, for that tonight to happen? So I want to talk to you tonight about being men of the miraculous. And I'm going to start off by telling you a story of, my, of myself that I've not really told publicly. I've never really shared this story. But I think it's important tonight as we talk about miracles for us, all of us in our lives, not just to, I'm not here to make a big fuss about myself. I'm here to, to celebrate something that God has done in my life, and I believe will do in my life, but also I want you, as I'm telling my story, I want you to remember how faithful God has been to you in your life, how many times God has been miraculous in your life, how God has literally intervened, the miraculous nature of heaven has intervened in your natural world, how often that happens and how often we, we forget, and how often we walk past it without stopping and celebrating. When I was born in 1967, my parents, as I said, my dad was a, a, an hourly worker at a poultry plant. My mom was a stay-at-home mom. My mom dropped out of high school when she was 16, married my dad when he was 19. About a year and a half later, they had my sister, and then, so I want to make sure that's clear. About a year and a half later, my sister was born. That was the big scandal back in that day when my mom dropped out of high school and married my dad. They all thought she was pregnant, and then they waited, and and it was a year and a half later, and they still thought that she got married because she was pregnant. But uh, (laughs) I just couldn't do the math. But anyway... (laughs) So my, then about, you know, about two years later, I was, I was born. And when I was born, it was obvious right away to the doctors something was wrong with me. I was, my skin was very purple. My lips were very purple. My fingernails were very purple. Obviously, I was not getting enough oxygen in my system. Now, my mom has six or seven brothers and sisters, and they all, a lot of them had small kids at the time. They all used one pediatrician in a little town about 15 miles away called Mansfield, Louisiana. My mom and my dad, for some reason, probably led by God, decided to go to Shreveport, about an hour away, to a pediatrician there at a hospital. This guy's name was Donald Mack. And so right after, he, he delivered me as a baby, and of course right away they said something's wrong, he's not, he's not moving, he's not, he's not, he's not active, he's, he, he sleeps all the time, his skin is purple. And of course immediately they realized there was probably something wrong with my heart. So they, Donald Mack, this, this uh, pediatrician, with a stethoscope, just put it on my heart, and immediately diagnosed something's wrong with this guy's heart, this, this baby's heart. He, put, he called Texas Children's Hospital in Houston, Texas. Now, Houston, Texas might as well have been on the planet Pluto for us in Logansport, Louisiana. And although Texas is a neighboring state of Louisiana, we were in northwest Louisiana in a very poor rural town. We were dirt poor farmers. My dad, we just lived out in the country. I I didn't wear shoes except on the coldest days. Honestly, we were poor. I'm not embellishing that story. And so for for this me, my mom and my dad and myself to somehow get to the best children's hospital in the world 
was beyond anything we could imagine. There was no way we were going to get into that hospital. And sure enough, Texas Children's Hospital said, get him here right now. And my mom and my dad, in the middle of the night, drove me the four or five hours all the way down to Houston, Texas. And not only did I get admitted to the world's leading hospital for children, the world's leading heart surgeon for children did my surgery. His name is Denton Cooley. And for those of you who have a medical background, he's a legend in the heart world. If you're a cardiologist or if you have a medical background, Denton Cooley is by far the leading expert. He was a pioneer in his field in the 1960s. He was the first man to perfect the art of opening up the chest cavity of a baby and doing heart surgery, invasive heart surgery for babies. So here I am, this redneck, poor boy that my dad's making five, $6,000 a year. I'm at the world's best hospital with the world's leading pediatrician, cardiologist, doing my surgery. So at six months old, I have a scar that goes from right here all the way around my rib cage, where at six months old, they went in and did a stopgap surgery because I was way too young at six months old to do the big surgery that they had to do. My pulmonic valve had a hole in it. So if you know anything about the heart, the pulmonic valve, I had a tetralogy of flow. I mean, that's what I had. I had a, I had a big hole in my heart. I had a murmur. I had a restricted valve. I was, I was, I was going to die if they didn't fix it. So at six months old, they go in and they did some minor repairs on it to get me to four years old. They were hoping at six months old that I would get to at least four. That way I would be old enough to possibly survive this invasive open heart surgery that I was facing. Sure enough, I made it to my fourth birthday, which is kind of obvious. And uh, (laughs) I didn't make it. (laughs) But I made it to my fourth birthday. And sure enough, I got there and Denton Cooley did my second surgery. So on one morning... There were six surgeries scheduled that morning. Denton Cooley and another doctor in this one surgical center were going to do six surgeries that day. I was one of the last. I think I was number five or six. Only two of us survived that day. Four other children died in surgery that day. So my parents were literally sitting in a waiting room, and you know, I'm a, I'm a mom and dad, and so y'all, a lot of you are dads and granddads. You know, you can't imagine the pain of so a doctor walking into your operating room and saying, You're, we lost your child. But my mom and dad sat there in that waiting room four different times that day and watched a doctor come in and tell their mom and dad, your, your kid's dead. And so I'm next. I'm in the waiting. I'm next in the surgery. And so uh, they were sitting there, and they said, it, looked, it felt like two days that I was in that surgery. I think I was in surgery four or five hours. And they come out and said, he's going to be fine. He's, he's okay. Well, sure enough, about two days later, they were doing a fundraiser for the hospital, and I actually have a, a front page of the Houston Chronicle. I was on the front page of the Houston Chronicle, a big picture of me smiling because they were doing a big fundraiser out at the racetrack to raise money for the hospital, and I'm holding this little black cutout cardboard horse promoting you know, the gambling racetrack fundraiser. <laughs> if you love me, go to the racetrack. You know, that's what it was. You know? help, the ki- help kids like this. So I'm on the front page of the Houston Chronicle. You know, there. So anyway, so... Here's what they, they told my mom and my dad. They said, he'll probably live to around 17 or 18. Now, remember, this is 1967. Most children didn't live. If you had what I had before 1967, about 98% of the kids died. So 1967, thanks to Denton Cooley, thanks to the ingenuity that he had, more and more kids were now surviving this tetralogy of flow and, and these other conditions of the heart. And so I was, uh, so I made it, you know, till I, uh, growing up, my dad, and, and you got to know the world where I grew up in, all of our extended family lived within three or four miles, so we all knew each other's business. I mean, they were always, we knew each other's business. How I many, do you ever remember, this is going to really date me, I'm only 44, I'm not 84, I'm 44, but there, we had a party line, 
Y'all, you ever have a party line? How many of you remember? If, okay, if the phone rang once, it was my uncle, aunt and uncle across the street. The phone rang twice, it was us. And we didn't, we, I, I despise people that had a lot of eights and nines in their phone number. You know, what? What? Because it took a long time to dial that rotary. All right, so, that's, so if anytime we got a phone call from the hospital, we could hear my aunt and uncle picking up the other line and trying to hold it down and listen to all the reports. I think he just said it. I think he just said he had a hole in his heart. You know, you could hear them talking on the other side. You know, that's my aunt and my uncle. Within, you know, there's two ways to, uh, to spread the news there in Logansport. Telephone and tell my aunt. And, and, and so as soon, as soon, literally as soon as the doctor would hang up with me, everybody in the neighborhood would know what was wrong with me, you know, and what, what the di- prognosis was. So sure enough, you know, I, I was five, six, seven years old, starting to get some strength, go to school. And so my dad said, if he's only going to live to 18, I'm going to let him do whatever he wants. <coughs> Basically, my dad put no limits on me. That's why at nine years old, I had a hatchet, a gun, and a horse. My dad says, look, we can't wait till he's old enough. You know, <coughs> literally, that was my dad's thought. He's not going to make it to 18, so we've got to let him do it now. So I was just was turned loose like a wild man. As a little boy, shooting, I got, I got scars, all these scars on my hands as a story. Usually a hatchet story, a knife story, a, a brother story, all these scars. And so that, that was, so by 16, I was playing sports. Uh, I, and that just freaked all of the family out, that they would let me play basketball and baseball. And I did. Uh, when I was a junior in high school, it was the year that a lot of the college basketball players, were, one in particular at Loyola Marymount, yeah, thank you for that. The, uh, you know, uh, if you remember, some of the basketball players were dropping dead, and so the, the issue of the heart was becoming more and more common among athletes, and so Louisiana actually banned, if you had any kind of heart issue, they wouldn't let you play high school sports. So my junior year, going into my junior year of high school, I lived and died for high school basketball. It was a small town. We didn't have football. Basketball was everything. So my heart literally was broken when they told me, you can't play basketball. So I, I, I probably would have been a starter. I was been one of the three or four best players there, you know, I was, I was just a little scrubby, redheaded guy, but... Um, I ended up actually being the manager. And there's nothing wrong with being the manager unless you can play. And I could play. I was better than the guys on the floor. So instead of just in order to hang out with a team, I decided I'd be the manager. So I actually kept stats behind the bench so I could just hang out with my friends. And it was really humiliating for me, but it was something that God used to kind of bring some humility that I needed at that point because I really was worshiping basketball. I, I worshiped everything about basketball. And it's funny how God will use the brokenness of our life to get our attention. So I'm telling you all that because these are a series of miracles that have happened along the way. So fast forward, you know, I get married, I I moved to Gateway, Uh, I ended up getting to be this cardiologist, he won cardiologist of the year, I didn't know they had that thing there, but he'd won it a couple times in a row in Dallas-Fort Worth, and so before I came here, I went and did a really thorough physical with him, and I do that every year anyway, but they had some new technology that could take some 3D images of your heart, so I did that a couple of times, and right before I went that last time, we were having a service sort of like this, except it was more like a worship night, you know, a prayer and worship night. And I was leading it, and I shared something about my heart. And I walked down, and this young woman walks up to me and she says, hey, can I just pray over you for a minute? And I said, yeah. So she lays her hands on me, and she prays this very simple prayer, but I felt something kind of shake inside of me. It was like, move. I felt something inside of me move. It was, it was a real thing to me. I went, wow, what happened? So I go back to my cardiologist. We go through this very extensive cardiology exam again. And, he, and this is right before I came here. He said, Brady, this is crazy. He said, your heart is strong. Your heart is good. You could run a marathon if you want. I said, well, I'm not. I mean, 
I go, I don't care if I can or not. I'm not going to do that. He said, what you could. And I, I was blown away by that because I'd never had a doctor tell me I could do uh, long-distance running. Most doctors said you can do walks, you can run a couple miles, three miles, but don't do anything that's really going to tax your heart. This guy, cardiologist of the year, said, Brady, I don't see any reason why you can't train to do whatever you want in your life. Well, I, I thought that was a, it was obviously a miracle of the Lord, you know, for me. And, and, and I also knew that I was about to move to high altitude, which is hard for heart patients sometimes. I'm moving to 67. My, actually, my house is right at 7,500 feet in my driveway. So I'm about to move to the el- uh, altitude. I'm about to take on a very stressful assignment. I knew that ahead of time. I had no idea how stressful, but I knew it was going to be some stress involved with it. And it turned out to be true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, and so I knew I was moving to the altitude. I knew I was going to take on a stressful position. And, I, and, and so I, I felt God, God's done something in my heart. He's, he's, he has strengthened me to the place where I can do what he's called me to do. All right? So I'm gonna, let's pick up the story, and I'm going to finish this story in just a minute. But I, wanna, I want us to take a look into the scriptures just for a minute. What, is, what did Jesus say about miracles? What did he say about us and miracles? And then we're going to, and, and at the end of this gathering tonight, we're going to have a time where we pray one for another. Because I believe there's a lot of people in this room, you need the miraculous to happen. And I need the miraculous to happen. All right? So let's take a look at this in John chapter 2. John chapter 2, verse 23 says, Now, so the first question I want to ask is, and the question I would ask of God if I were exploring this subject is, what's the purpose of these miracles? Why, why do we need this? What's the purpose of what is a miracle? First of all, and here's my very simple definition of a miracle. It's a divine invasion into human affairs. It's an invasion of the divine, an invasion of God into natural human affairs. It's where God literally comes into the natural realm and does something among us. It's God at work among us. That's a miracle. Every time that happens, that's a miracle. So what's the purpose? John chapter 2, verse 23 says, Now while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many people saw the miraculous signs he was doing and believed in his name. So Jesus, wherever he went, miracles seemed to follow him. And one of the reasons that Jesus needed miracles to happen was to produce faith in people. So people would see people healed and raised from the dead people he would see water turned to wine which was his first miracle uh, believe it or not and and so each time that people would see this their faith they would say this this might be the prophet that we've been praying for and then they would say maybe this is the promised messiah this is obviously god at work among us they would use language like the, the hebrews would have used in the exodus story god among us god is here to deliver us god is working in us and through us john chapter 6 After the people, verse 14, after the people saw the miraculous signs that Jesus did, they began to say, surely, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. He says, no, yes, I am the prophet, but don't call me Shirley. That's what he, I I can imagine him saying that, but (laughs) said, surely this is the prophet. So every time these miraculous signs would happen, there was a, a faith that would rise up in people, but not every time, not every time. Notice this, this is, this is interesting to note. And this is, this is a, a, a challenge to us in the room. What if God came to new life, began to invade into our natural affairs? We would safely assume that most people would immediately follow God and believe in God, but it's not the case. All right, notice this in John chapter 12, verse 37. Even after Jesus had done all these miraculous signs in their presence, they still would not believe in him. Now, I want to I solve something here because there's a big question among charismatics. It's almost like some people worship miracles more than they worship God. Let me tell you something. Miracles are not enough for belief. They certainly add to our faith. They certainly help us believe. But we cannot become worshipers of miracles and not become worshipers of God. And I'm telling you, it's very easy to to happen. 
You can be worshipers of the stuff, worshipers of things that God does, and never become a worshiper of God. Do you know that? Let me show it to you, right? I mean, this is one of the most chilling scriptures in all of the Bible, in my opinion. Matthew 24, verse 24. For false Christ and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and miracles to deceive even the elect, if that were possible. See, I've told you ahead of time. Now, I want to say this to us now at New Life. We're in 2011. And even today in Iran, by the way, they, uh, there was a video that's about to come out from Iran that, that says they are, they're predicting the return of the 12th Iman. They're, they're saying that now. That's, that they're, they're making this bold prediction that all of this chaos and among the Islamic, in, the, in the Islamic belief system, they believe that in a time of great turmoil and a time of great political chaos, in a, in a time of great political unrest, that this 12th Iman will come, their, their promised Messiah will come, and he will lead the nation of Islam to victory over all of the infidels of the world. And they're saying right now, with all of the chaos that's happening, and, and by the way, never before in my lifetime has there been so much, thing, so much uh, disruption going on in the Middle East in multiple countries. I mean, political upheavals after another. And so just know this, that we're living in a season where these false prophets very well could appear and do amazing things in front of us. Do amazing things. And I hear a lot of you, I mean, I've ha- I have a lot of you talk to me a lot, and you'll, you'll ask, and they're good questions, they don't mind you asking me the question. You'll say, Pastor Brady, we just so long for the miracles. We so long for the miracles. Now, while I know your heart's pure, and I'm not judging the intent of your, of your statement, but sometimes I walk away and go, and, let me tell you what I'm really longing for I'm longing to know him better. I'm longing to become this unadulterated worshiper more than I am. I do love miracles. I desire miracles. I pray for miracles. But my overwhelming passion is not for miracles. I hope for them. I wish for them. And I ask for them. And I celebrate it when they happen. Can I tell you, don't get so fixated on the miraculous. You literally can become so fixated on the miraculous at times that you lose sight of what's very important, much more important. And that's becoming an authentic follower of our Jesus, the Christ. We must keep our eyes on that because there's going to be a lot of people that's going to do fast and it may very well happen in our generation where a lot of people appear and show very, a lot, and this is a huge concern for me. A huge concern for me as a pastor is you don't hear this kind of talk very much from pastors because it's a warning from Jesus himself who said, be careful, be warnful of this. Don't get caught up in the miraculous that you lose sight of the God of the miraculous. Are you catching that now? This is what, and I'm not making this up. This is what Jesus himself said. Paul didn't say this. Jesus said this, all right? All right, now let's go back to the miracles, though, because they are important. So the question I have today is, do, do miracles still happen today? Absolutely, they do. But I want to show you something in the book of John that I've never seen before. And remember, I told you to, be, to make sure that, this, that this, I do believe the Scriptures are continuously articulate, that they're speaking to us. And I've read John, this passage in John 1,500 times. Now, but I, I, I saw it again, and I looked at it again, fresh, and I saw something I want to show you, okay? And I think it's going to encourage you tonight. John chapter 14, verse 11. He says, Believe me when I say that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. So Jesus said, listen, I have a body of work that you should look at, you should evaluate, and, and look at what the results have, look at the results that happen as, as a, because of my miracles. So evaluate the result of the miracles. Don't just be fascinated by the miracle. He said, evaluate the results of the miracles. All right, does that make sense to you? All right, let's keep reading. He says, verse 12, I tell you the truth. 
anyone who has faith in me will do what I've been doing. He will do even greater things than these. By the way, Jesus raised the sick, I mean, raised the dead, healed the sick, cast out demons. That should be a common thing among us as well, if, it, if this scripture is true, right? Because I'm going to the Father and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that, in the, that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Now, how many of you have heard that passage of scripture before, all right? And I have too, many, many times. All right, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, every time the word miracles was used, or power, from Jesus, it was the Greek word dunamis, which means power coming out from us, power being on display. It's a great word. Dunamis is a common word used in the New Testament for miracles and power. In this case, though, John uses another word for miracles, and it's only used by John. And the word is not dunamis. It's the Greek word erga. It's the Greek word erga. Here's what erga means. Erga simply means, the word literally means, what you do reveals who you are. He was saying, I don't, God, Jesus has not called us to do miracles. Jesus has called us to be carriers of his presence. And wherever we go, wherever we are, Wherever our words are spoken, there is a potential for the miraculous. Because we're not just doers of the miraculous, we are carriers. This miraculous nature of God is a part of our very fabric. It's a a part of our very being. It's who we are as men. We are men of erga, not just dunamis power. We are erga. It's in our fabric. We are carriers. Wherever you go, I met a man, I saw a guy who works at Liberty Toyota, another guy who works at the spa place. I'm just telling you, wherever you go, You're the carrier of the miraculous. It's in us. When I breathe out, I'm breathing out the miraculous words of God. When I speak it, now can you, if if our enemy knows this, and he does, if, if the strategy of the enemy would be very simple to me, I would spend most of my time trying to confuse people about who they are. Because if you ever caught who you are, if you ever discovered, and I think this is going to be one of the most chilling things that are in, in heaven. I think we're all going to get to heaven, and we're going to look in heaven's mirror, and the reflection we see back, we're going to go, oh, man, if I'd only known that when I was there. That, you mean that's who I am? Yeah, look, look in the mirror one more time. You're not the fat, middle-aged, balding guy. That's, yeah, that's what you are in the natural but in the supernatural, we're going to see a reflection back. We're going to see Erga. We were carriers of the miraculous all along. And so this invasion, we've been praying for this, the kingdom of heaven to come and invade the earth, the kingdom of heaven to come and to show up. We've been asking for all, and it says in Romans that all of creation is groaning as in labor pains for things to be made right, for justice to come, for all things to be set in order. I wonder, instead of us waiting on God, God might be waiting on us, his carriers. He said, I've given you all that I can give you. I can't die on the cross again. I can't be resurrected again. I've already sent you the Holy Spirit. I gave you this God-breathed word that's continuously articulate. I've established the local church as a safety place for you to be, a family for you in which, in which you to abide, relationships in which to form. I've given you all the tools. I've breathed on you. I've made you men of the miraculous. Now go and be carriers. Go and be carriers. What does that mean? It means if I see someone sick, 
have the audacity to ask if you can pray for them. You don't have to do it there in public and embarrass them. Just say, hey, can I pray for you? My wife and I pray together at night for people. Would you mind if we added you to our list? It could be something as innocuous as that, something as simple as that, right? But would we not be carriers of his presence? I got this, I'm going through some physical therapy right now. I've got a partial tear of my rotator cuff from uh, my NFL uh, experience. <laughs> now, that's, that's, actually, what happened is I threw a wet football last summer that was rolling around the water, and some kids about 20 yards away said, hey, a little help. And so without warming up, 43 years old, I reached down and picked up this football. It's about eight times the weight because it's been rolling around the water all day. We've been watching them throw the football all day. And I reached down and grabbed it, and I threw it. And as soon as I threw it, I went, moron! Ah! <laughs> I mean, I went down in pain in the water, and Pam and the kids are going, my gosh, what's wrong? I said, I think my arm just went with the football. I mean, ah! But I don't have a full tear. Anyway, so I'm talking to her. She's asking me questions about God right now. This girl who's helping me. She's fascinated by it. She's talking. And I realize I'm starting to pray now when I go in to do physical therapy. God, I want to be a carrier. I don't have to out-argue her. I don't have to out-debate her. I don't have to, you know, expound on some theological viewpoint. I just want to be, when I'm there, when I walk in, can I be just a carrier of your presence? And I, I don't mind using words. I, I think words are powerful and important, and the power of our tongue is life and death, you know? So I don't mind talking to her, but I just want to be a carrier, and I can see her questions are getting deeper. And i got about three or four more months of physical therapy, and her questions are becoming more focused, more intense, because I've just been a carrier of her presence, my, his presence in my life. And it's all you have to do. Just, Lord, I want to be aware of your presence, a carrier of your presence. All right, so I'm telling you that because I, I believe we are a people who are naturally supernatural. That's my goal. I really want to be a pastor of a church where we embrace the idea of being naturally supernatural. It's who we are. We cannot change our DNA. God won't let us change our DNA. And the moment you try to push this part of your DNA aside, you become less than what he wants from you, and you'll find that God's hand just is not on you. But the moment you embrace the sonship, the who you are, this fabric, this miraculous fabric, you start seeing God move on your behalf. You start seeing the miraculous happen around you. So about um, last year, I went back to my, my cardio annual exam. And um, so the doctor came in, and he was a little concerned, and he said, you know, you got something's going on in that pulmonic valve again. And I, I, I was really disappointed because I'd, I'd gotten all these great glowing health reports, you know, for a long time. And he said, there's, there's some leakage happening. He says, nothing to be alarmed about yet. Just be careful about it. Let's, let's take a look at it again. And we can wait a year. Start, if you start having any symptoms, come back in. But let's take a look at it. So I went back in about two months ago, and, and we did a, I, I was, uh, did a cardio MRI where I spent an hour in an, in an MRI chamber. And they did a really extensive view of, of my heart. And so the leak had gone from kind of, you know, simple. Now it's gone to moderate to severe. So this leak in my pulmonic valve is, is now severe. It's happening again. And so this is what he says to me in my office. He says, in his office, he said, uh, and this guy's real cut and dry, and he said, uh, you know, I, you're the first guy I've ever met that's 44 years old with your condition. And then he just kind of walks out of the room. <laughs> I went, so I went back to Pam and I said, well, I mean, am I living on borrowed time? I feel fine. I came into the doctor's office feeling great, feeling normal. So he said, you know, you're, and, and what, what he was saying was, he clarified it later, was uh, most people my age died in 1967. So at 44 years old, I'm one of the first guys to reach my 40s with this condition, and now cardiologists don't want, know what to do with all of us who have made it into our 40s. But they're realizing now there's probably going to have to be more repair. The heart is a working instrument that needs continuous repair at times. 
especially if you have congenital heart disease like I do. And so, you know, I, it, was, um, it was a little aggravating. He said, Brady, you're going you're gonna to have to, at some point this year, have surgery. You're probably going to have to have some surgery. Well, you know, I, I'm, I'm like most of you. I don't go to the doctor unless my arm is falling off. I mean, you know, you know I, I, I want to be a good patient. I think we need to get good medical exams. In fact, let me just say this, and this is uh, something I think we can say it among men. My dad would be alive today if he had gotten a colonoscopy. If he had gotten a colonoscopy every two years like he should have, I'd still have my dad today. So I want to tell you guys, if you're a bad patient, and, you, and if, you're not, if you're not taking care of your body, you're robbing your family of valuable years. And so if you're, not, if you're over 45, if you're over 40 years old, and you're not getting a, a regular colonoscopy, I know it's an awful thing to even think about. Why would you, my pastor t- say that from the pulpit? Because I care about you. And let me say this to you. I'll, say, I'll be very candid with you. If something happens to you, we'll take care of your wife and kids because we're going to take care of widows and kids here. But I'd rather you take care of them. So hang out with us a little more, okay? So I, I, um, so I went, I mean, because my dad died of colon cancer, and he, and he was 60 years old. He had never gotten a colonoscopy at 60. So at 40, a couple of years ago, I went and got one. I got a clean bill of health. It was great. I'm going to get one every two or three years because I have a history of it in my family. So I've been very careful about my heart, and I believe in science and medicine. In fact, I, I'm going to tell you something. I, I, I really have a reverence and a respect for the men and women in the medical community who have given their lives, their mind. That, that is a gift from God. I was with, uh, and I, I don't know if he's here tonight, but I, wanted, I want you, my, my cardiologist is actually a new lifer. Not the guy who said that to me. He's, he's actually just become my, this guy has actually just become my cardiologist. So he's not the one that told me that and walked out of the room. This guy actually has much better bedside manner. But uh, <laughs> is Christopher, Dr. Cole here tonight? Did he make it in? He said he had a lot of patients. See, our Chris Cole right here. Would y'all say hi to him? He's a great <laughs> friend. And, uh, so I, I, have a, I have a deep awe and respect that God gave some men and women these enormous brains and minds and the ability to, to study and to see the human body and to, to be used by God to bring healing. So I am pro-medicine. I am pro-using the science of medicine because I think the more you study the science of medicine, the more you are absolutely convinced there is a living God in heaven. So I believe in embracing that. I believe in embracing a healthy uh, uh, medical help. I think there's some things that are unhealthy for sure, but I think most of it is very good. You have to embrace the, the science of it. But I'm also believing God for healing. Now, the procedure could be as simple as uh, I'm in two days and back to work in three or four days, or it could be as difficult as five days in the hospital and a month on my back at the, at the house recovering. I don't really know the extent of what I'm facing yet, but I just know this. I got this strange sense of peace about it almost immediately. It's like, all right, Lord. I, and, and so then I, that's when I called my mom and said, okay, mom, tell me the story one more time. Well, Brady, somehow we ended up at Texas Children's Hospital. Somehow the world's leading cardiologist did your surgery. Somehow along the way you have made it to 44 years. And she just told me that story, and I saw the miracles. And so now it's like, all right, I'll do this and get another 44 years. And then after that, I don't mind if I go to heaven after that. But the, the point of this is I'm, I, want you to know, I want you to know what's going on with me, not because I think I'm, I don't want to be the center of the attention. And I didn't even really want to tell you because I don't want to be asked about this. 150,000 times before I have the surgery. I don't mind you telling your wife, tell your wife anything you hear in this building, and I don't mind you asking me about it. I mean, I don't mean that, but the point is, I think I want to tell you what's going on because I want to make it church a safe place for us all to ask for help. So I need your prayers. I want you to pray with me. The same way you would come and say, Pastor Brady, I want you to pray with me, there's going to be times when I stand in front of you and say, hey, I need you to pray for me. And for me not to do that, then it's modeling something that I'm, I'm trying to 
trying to coach and trying to model that for the church. When, when you need prayer, ask for it. Ask. This is a safe place. These are men and women here that love each other, deeply care for one another, and we want to pray for one another. And so I've already had a lot, the staff laid hands on me last week. The elders are going to anoint me with oil, and I've had tons of people lay hands on me. I've only, well, the people I've told have all been praying for me, so I've got tons of prayers. But I'm asking tonight, along with many of you who may be sick, you maybe have found your place in a, a, yourself in a place where you never thought you would be, but God's here tonight. God is among us. And so all we're going to do in this simple time at the end is we're just going to pray for healing among us. We're going to pray for the sick tonight. We're going to pray, maybe you need a miracle in your marriage. Maybe you came tonight hoping that I would give you some kind of hope for your marriage. Well, I, I got good hope for you. We're men of the miraculous. And, and you might need some counseling. You might. You probably do, in fact. And I do from time to time. No shame in getting counseling. I get it all the time. The point is, you are the carrier of the miraculous into your marriage. You're the carrier of his presence with your children. Can I tell you that one of the most powerful things I do with my kids is simply lay my hands on them? And I'm, they may not hear dad pray. And I'm not super devotional dad. I don't know if y'all may have this imagination that we have these kumbaya moments every night at my house. I'm not that, I'm, I'm probably as bad as you are about doing daily devotionals with my kids. But one thing I am really good at is I put my hands on them and I pray over them all the time. Even when they're not aware of that I'm praying, my hand is on them. Because I'm a carrier of his presence. And that's my kid. That's my house. I have authority in my house. Pam has authority in our house. But dad has authority in the house. And I'm a carrier of the miraculous. Something going on with Abram at, at school or something's going on with Callie at school or there's something going on in their life, I'm a carrier of the miraculous. Pam and I are feeling stress in our marriage. We are both carriers of the miraculous. And when we both realize that, God intervenes. God does things in our lives that's pretty amazing. So tonight, that's what we're going to do. Is that okay? So I want us all to stand tonight. And I want, um, I feel good tonight, I want you, I, I'm, I'm not, this, uh, this is not some kind of life-threatening thing, if I, obviously if I ignored it, it would be, you know, your, your heart's kind of important, and uh, it's not like your appendix, you know, uh, it's kind of in the same place, but very different in importance, and, um, and so I, I'm, I'm going to deal with this, I'll, 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 I'll let the church know if I go into surgery, if I'm going to be gone a month, I'll tell you in advance, and let you pray for me, I'll tell you when the surgery is, because I'm a family, I'm with you, you're my brothers now, this is my church home. So this is what I would do if I were part of any fellowship. I'd tell the people around me that love me, and I, I love you, you love me, we're going to pray for one another, be brothers with one another. So as the Holy Spirit leads you, I'd love, love for you to pray for me. Don't feel like you have to do it every day. Just whenever God reminds you, I would really covet your prayers. But I feel really peaceful. I feel like God is, is with me. He's always been with me. And 40 years from now, I'll tell some other group of men this story of what's about to happen, how God was faithful once again. All right? I want you to, let's just... Uh, Focus on the Lord just for a minute. And, and I, want, I want the men, uh, and if you're a leader, one of the pastor's leaders, if you're on the men's team, if, if you're someone that knows how to pray for people, just want you make your way up to the front here and kind of make a line around the wall if you we, if we want. Just come on, guys, all you guys that know how to pray and you're part of our team and leaders here. You, know, you don't have to have a name badge. If you just feel you know, you're somebody that knows how to pray for men and wants to pray for men tonight, just kind of make a spot up here. Now, Jesus would do miracles and faith would rise up. I've told you about a miracle, and I hope our faith tonight is at a place where maybe, maybe you've asked. I, I, I can't tell you how many people, how many times I've asked people to pray for my heart for complete healing, and I will keep asking. 
I'm not going to grow weary in my praying. My praying. And I want to encourage you tonight, if you've had something going on in your body and you've been praying for it for many, many years, don't grow weary in your praying. Keep pressing in. Keep praying. Keep praying, okay? Keep pressing in for that. So let's pray together right now. And if you need prayer for anything, why don't you just step out right now and just find one of these guys, if you know one of them or you just want to be with one of them. Come on out. Let, let the prayers begin right now. And the guys, if, you're, if you have nothing that you're asking for, here's the way family operates. We rejoice with those who are rejoicing. We mourn with those who mourn. And, and so maybe everything's great with you, but what, your role tonight is to begin to pray for the guys who come forward, okay? Begin to pray for them. Pray for these guys who are praying. Pray for the guys who are receiving prayers. And let's begin to pray together. Let's just ask, pray as, you, as, as if you wanted people to pray for you. The Father in heaven, we are so thankful tonight for the miraculous nature of God that is ours to embrace. Lord, we welcome the work of the Holy Spirit tonight. Lord, we welcome the work that you're doing in us and through us. Father, we believe in healing. Lord, we sang that song that you are our healer. Lord, we sang it because we believe it. Lord, tonight I pray for divine intervention, for the kingdom of heaven to invade the natural realms of our bodies, every, every fiber, every tissue, every cell, every bone of our body, I pray, would come under the lordship of Jesus Christ tonight. Lord, we're asking, Lord, for healing, for an abundance of your healing now to come forth, to, be, to come forth among these men. Lord, bind up the brokenhearted, release the captives that are in prison, heal the sick, open the blind eyes. Lord, just as the scriptures say, we believe it. We pray for healing tonight.